Hey, what's up, Warrior? Jeff here from WarriorLife.com and the Warrior Life Academy, and welcome to podcast episode number 478. So as likely as it is that your home is going to be your primary shelter location when there's a disaster headed your way, sometimes the universe throws you a curveball, and you might be forced to evacuate yourself and your family to a safer location. That's why the smart prepper already has a rapid response plan to get themselves and their family out of Dodge so that you can get ahead of the pack of all those unprepared citizens who are going to be wasting a bunch of precious time just trying to randomly throw whatever they can find into the back of the family's soccer van. And the smartest preppers are also of the mindset that this plan should constantly be reviewed to find new, more efficient ways to level up your gear and the actions that you're going to take when it's go time. But here's the thing. Reviewing your own preparedness plan is like trying to cut your own hair. You know, you think you got it all figured out until you turn around and realize there's a big patch that you missed right there in the bag. And in a survival scenario, you can't exactly ask your neighbor to help you even it all out, right? So that's why I love it when our followers and Academy members ask me to review their current prepping plans and offer my advice on ways that they can upgrade their level of preparedness. And that's where I met Joshua, who's the creator of a bug out plan instructable. And in this week's show, I'll take you on a 10 point journey through the highlights of his plan so that you can see where there may be some crossover with your current plan and give you some actionable advice that could just be the difference between you and your family reaching your plan B bug out location safely or being trapped with the other evacuees who were ill-prepared for the danger that they didn't expect. And hey, don't worry about taking notes because we put together a simple one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points from this week's show, and you can download it absolutely free in a special section of our website that we call The Loot Locker. And all you have to do is go to warriorlife.com loot. You'll find it waiting for you there inside along with all of our other cheat sheets and a bunch of other manuals, audio programs, and tools, all yours for the taking. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. What is going on, Warriors? Jeff Anderson here, Executive Director, WarriorLife.com, WarriorLife Academy. Uh, Okay, we are back with a special... Special edition here because it's been a long time since I've done any sort of a of a Q and A for I know a lot of a lot of people have been putting in questions, they've been putting in tips, and I love to get to these and really answer people's questions to help them get clarity on a lot of the misinformation that's out there in relation to a lot of the different skills that we we train inside of the academy related to self defense, firearms, and survival. We have a special website set up that. People that are listening to our podcast or watching us on our YouTube channel, watching our live streams from our Facebook page, that you can submit questions or tips as well so that we can use them on the show. And if we do use them, we actually send out a thank you gift. It's been a long time since we've done this. We do it internally for quick wins within the Academy itself for our members so that they can submit questions and we can we really prioritize those. But I do love to get to a lot of the questions that have been submitted. And it's been a while since I've been inside of there. And there was one that really stuck out to me that came in relatively recently from somebody that is out there in the industry, putting information out there and had challenged me on one of the topics that I had. And I guess must've been after listening to the podcast that I did on the truth about get home bags. And I'll I'll save the information for uh, listening to that podcast. You can go ahead and find that 
on our blog or anywhere where you're getting your podcast, go ahead and listen to that. Actually, I did two on there because there were a lot of people that had written in with their own ideas and challenged me on certain things. And so I did another episode after that to answer some of those questions as well. But this one, uh, this one really stuck out to me when I went to go look at this person's question and also the stuff that they were referencing, because there's a lot of stuff that that they're doing right. And some things that I think they would benefit from some advice as well in relation to their bug out plan. Now, a couple things here. One is I love to be wrong. I love to be wrong. I, I challenge anybody to prove me wrong in any of the things that I put out there. And I want you to prove me wrong because if you could prove me wrong and I'm, I'm open-minded enough to take any sort of information and any sort of advice and take it in and put it up against my experience. And if it is better than what I'm currently doing, I'm going to adopt it. And I give you full credit for it. That's why I love that people submit these tips. Oh, by the way, you can go over to warriorlifetips.com and you'll see a, uh, you'll see a way that you can submit your own tips or your own questions there. And again, if we use this in any of our podcasts or videos or anything like that, we'll send you out a thank you gift for submitting your information. And there have been times where people have submitted information that have given me ideas that I had never thought of before. And I've adopted those things. So you giving me advice and the rest of our listeners, our followers, our viewers, it, it all helps us, right? Like this is how we boost each other up. And so I really like that this person was open-minded enough to challenge me, first of all, but also do it from a professional perspective and and say, he would really like my take on it. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and read you the message that he sent over to me and also give you a reference over to what he's talking about as well. So this is coming from Joshua Stockwell from the Dayton uh, area. And he says, absolutely love the content. You have a refreshing viewpoint. I don't know if this is a question, but it's, but a tip just didn't seem right. I, I don't exactly disagree with the get home bag viewpoint that you have, but my take is different. I wrote an instructable in 2015, mostly because so many people were weapon heavy on their packs, literally. Um, I have ARs, all the ammo, tons of food, et cetera. Just thought if I'm running from here, things are extra spicy. I would love to get your take, not looking uh, for stuff, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. So I, yeah, I, I really like that Joshua put himself out there and said, Hey, take a look at my plan. Give me your take on it. Like it, lump it, whatever. Right. So I appreciate his openness to be challenged himself. And I do get a lot of, I think probably the, the most the most inquiries I get are on, will you look at my bug out bag? Will you look at the gear that I have? Because we do have a lot of videos that are out on YouTube. Uh, one of them is a, it's a longer one, but it has gotten a lot of traction about my, uh, my 16 pound bug out bag, my ultralight bug out bag. And I think it's been, that's been really helpful for a lot of people as well as the changes that I've, that I've had over the years and adopted new things as new gear comes out or adopted new philosophies or found better ways to do things more efficient things. I'm always trying to take pounds off of, out of, out of my, my backpack, out of my rucksack. So I thought this was great. So I'm not going to go over, I can't read the entire instructable that Joshua wrote, but I will leave a link to it in the show notes on our blog over at warriorlife.com where you can check out this podcast. 
And I'll also put it in the cheat sheet that goes with this as well. So you have that. And the reason why I really, I want you to go check it out because I think what, I think what Joshua did the best with this instructable is in showing his evolution. Like he's, he's gone back and he's edited things. He edited, he edited it heavily during the pandemic when things became like things I think that he didn't think were going to happen or things can't really possibly get that bad. Even though we know that we can, or we know that it can, he, he comes back in and he says, okay, we're all in lockdown and I get it. (laughs) This is, I guess things really can get this bad. And the fact is, is that they, they can get that bad. And that's why the XBOB stands for extreme bug out bag. And I am more extreme than other people are when it comes to the bug out bag. Extreme from the standpoint of I'm planning for a worst case scenario, not the typical FEMA's advice on what to put inside of a survival kit or anything like that. It's all from my personal experience, but it's also personalized for me. So you have to personalize your own gear for you, run your own threat matrix on what you're actually prepping for, knowing what your plan is, because it's your gear is not your plan. It's just the tools that support your knowledge and your skills, the things you practice, the things that you've proven the things that you have as an actual plan for you and your family should something actually happen and force you to evacuate. So uh, his instructable is very long. I've taken 10 different areas out of this to give you just a quick synopsis of some of the the strategies that he's using and give you my take on the good, the bad, the ugly. If there's a difference of opinion here, I'll go ahead and give you what I would personally recommend and then also, I think, again, I think that he does have a lot of a lot of really good stuff over there. So kudos to you, Joshua, for for submitting this and for all the work that you've done. And I love to see as I was reading, I really loved to see the evolution of your plan over time and the thing and the changes that you've made as well. I think you have a very practical viewpoint on, well, on the practicality of bugging out. And I think you rightfully call out a bunch of people who see themselves as kind of the the wasteland warriors who want to come out and be all tactical, get all the gear, load it all up, strap their Barrett 50 caliber sniper rifle on their back and head out off into the wasteland, right? So uh, so I'm going to go ahead and go through each of these 10 different areas that I pulled out of Joshua's Instructable and give you my take on it here. So the first one we're going to talk about are scenarios, because I think he does a pretty good job of laying the foundation for what he's prepping for, like what his goals are and things like that. And actually, I think that a lot of people don't take that time to really think about what it is that they're prepping for. How serious are they about the possibilities of having to evacuate somewhere? I think a lot of people do really see the bug out bag as just kind of that, that, that prepper hall, you know, that, 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 that core prepper thing besides a uh, besides a gas mask it's like the one thing that really identifies i think a lot of people as being preppers so that they have a bug out bag they can evacuate if they need to they but i i think most people do are very i know it's not even i think like i know most people are very impractical when it comes to the bag that they choose and what they put inside of it and even less practical i think with the plan that they wrap around it And so I think he does a great job. So on scenarios, I'm going to read some little excerpts that he gave here. He said that 
Um, I have uh, been through enough natural disaster types of situations to know that the vast majority of people will be looking to help other people rather than form a mob and pillage everyone, at least for the first few weeks. If the excrement has actually has actually struck the oscillating wind projector, then of course, hunger and desperation will change people. So I agree with them. I've been in natural disasters myself. I have seen my small little town that went through a a life-changing disaster for for everybody. It dragged, uh, it it killed 11 of my fellow townsfolk, dragged 70, I think it was 75 homes into the river that runs through our town. It was a flash flood that came through. It was a wall of water, basically. It came through in the middle of the night and just dragged people away, dragged their homes right off of the, uh, right off their foundation into the river and many people drowned. And I agree, you know, after that, we saw an incredible outpouring of goodwill. The townsfolk really came together. Like within a week, I think we had a motto for the town. We had flags for the town, Wimberly Strong, and and people were flying them. And we really pulled together. Like all the local businesses were making food for everyone. We saw donations come in from all around the country. People traveled in from all around the country to help with all the cleanup and and all the debris that was around. It was pretty, really pretty amazing. And heartwarming to see all of that. Now, of course, during this time, this is a localized disaster. While other counties and towns got hit as well, everybody pulled together. That's short term. And that's why I say maybe I'm more extreme than others, because I I know that most people will be helpful in those times. You don't have, I mean, we did have a few people like spray plywood and put it outside their home, like looters will be shot, you know, probably watching a few too, too many Walking Dead episodes, I'm, I'm guessing. However, the reason why I pack my bag in maybe with more extreme gear that is personalized for me and my experience and my skill set is because I have seen the opposite as well. Because when supply lines are open, you're absolutely right. There is going to be a heartwarming pulling together of a community to make it really more close knit, to make it stronger as a community. And you will get help and you, it's great. And it feels really good to get out there and help other people as well. But when supply lines are down, every pretty much every town in America operates on a three-day resupply route. So fuel, uh, food at the grocery store, these are all things that there's constant resupply coming in to refill those gas tanks, to refill those shelves at the grocery store. And when those supply lines are cut and resources are low, people change, they transform. So a more wide scale disaster is, again, I would rather be prepared for something that's going to be catastrophic, that's going to be life-changing, that's going to literally change life as we know it overnight. And there are five different triggers out there that we talk about in our in our training that could potentially cause a collapse of our entire infrastructure. When that happens, I always say like it only takes 3 days to go from calm to chaos. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen neighbors and friends turn into enemies and start fighting each other over resources. And so you really have to be cautious of those things and since we are talking about survival, and your bug out bag really is the core of your survival plan for a lot of different reasons I won't, I won't go into right now. But because of that, you really do have to consider it in the long run, 
how is this going to help you? Now, hopefully, like, as I said before, like, it really does take a plan wrapped around your bug out bag. So it's not like strap on the bug out bag, head off into the wasteland, you're marching around on foot, going off into the wilderness, and you're going to go live off the land there. It's not like that's a very impractical plan for most people, not for everybody. Some people have the skills for it. Some people have the ability, the vicinity, they can, they can maybe have another even location, or they go off into the wilderness where they know that they're not going to be bothered by people, let everything go by. That's, you know, there, there are certainly places for those plans for those people where it makes sense for them. But for most people, it, it doesn't. And so I would just say that to be very cautious about the scenarios that you're looking at, because people, I've seen people change. Even I'm, I'm talking about good people. It's not like all the, the wolves of society are just waiting for the next disaster. I've seen that too. But really, you do have to be prepared for the worst case scenario. Uh, the next section that we're going to talk about that he, that he talks about is on stealth. So he says, uh, this is kind of a continuation, a little bit of this, of this plan, but it's a better, you know, rather than taking on the hordes out there with your, with your AR-15, uh, stealth is a, a much better option, right? So he says, there are plenty of people out there who say that your go bag should be a pink, press, a pink princess flowery little girl's backpack stuffed full of ammunition and weapons so that you can sneak up on unsuspecting folks and not draw attention to yourself as being a prepper. He says, I like the gray man concept. Um, getting attacked because I'm prepared is less of a danger than not preparing. And the last thing he said, I'll, I'll say here is that he opted for, he says a coffee color backpack. He does have pictures on his instructable of all of his gear and he does have his backpack on there. It's that it's a coyote, coyote brown is what we call it really in military, you know, language. But so, so yes, I mean, it is much better to be in stealth mode and be the gray man than it is to be somebody who's out there dressed in full camo gear. And you look like, a, you look like a soldier, which is what a lot of preppers are out there doing. And that is always my first, my first indication. That's my first warning flag that this person needs help because that is absolutely the wrong, uh, unless you are in a survival team that is skilled, practiced, trained, and you're going to go in force. That is one way to do it for sure. That is one way to do it. But very few people, unless you've been in the military and you have people in your team that are also either military trained or that can really provide a force out there, you, but you are also going to draw attention to yourself as well. Now, so is the pink princess backpack. Does it look like a bug out bag? No, it doesn't. But pink is going to draw the eye. So part of being a gray man is really about not activating the reticular activating system uh, that we have built into our brains of the people that are, are around you. In other words, you don't want, like our brains are constantly scanning for the saber tooth tiger to jump out of, out of, the, the bushes and eat us. And that's, those are our instincts. They're there. And to, to set us up for survival that way, we are really just trained, programmed. It's in our DNA really to scan our surroundings for things that are different, things that stand out. A pink princess backpack will absolutely stand out. But so will a prepper's bug out bag. If it's camo, if it's coyote brown, if it looks like something that a soldier would carry or a prepper would carry, most people, especially now, because more and more people have gotten into prepping, 
especially after the pandemic, when people realized, wow, this thing that people have been saying could possibly happen just happened. Maybe other things could happen too. So we've, we've definitely seen a surge in people that are following a more prepared lifestyle. Unfortunately, most of the advice that you see online is buy your camo bug out gear because you're going to be a wannabe soldier, which is absolutely the wrong way to go. So even the, the coyote brown color of the backpack, again, it looks like a military backpack. And I, if you want to be in stealth mode, that's not the way to do it. The other thing that I will say as an exception here is where he said, getting attacked because I'm prepared is less of a danger than not preparing. Yes. In, in theory, it absolutely is. It's, but it's a yes and. So yes, it is better than not preparing at all, but it is also going to draw attention because enough people have seen doomsday preppers or again, gotten into survivalism, gone out on the, on the internet to recognize that somebody that is dressed tactical and wearing a tactical bag and it is a disaster scenario or a collapse where resources are low, you're going to suspect that that person is prepared and has supplies that you might need. Well, other people are going to see that also. So really, it looks like it's going to put a target on your, it's going to put a target on your back and you have to be very, very cautious about that. I, one thing, you know, one of our sayings we always say is um, be tactical, but don't look tactical. And there is a way to do that as well. All right. The third section we're going to talk about here is on, I label it as foundational gear. He had a, a lot of different things to say in here. And he said, my pack would, uh, and this is part of the evolution also. So this, this was a, a longer section, but what I liked about it, when I first started reading it, I was like, oh, Joshua, oh, Joshua. But then as you go and you look at his updates, it seems like Joshua really, he, he discovered on his own that there are ways to improve his plan. So what I'm saying is from his excerpt here, uh, my, the items in my pack would allow my family and I to survive in what I would consider to be a worst case scenario, which would be the middle of nowhere with no modern conveniences. So I, I took exception to this initially because I think a lot of people are doing this, right? Like maybe your spouse doesn't really get into prepping. Maybe your kids aren't really into prepping. In fact, he even talks about how he doesn't want to scare them by putting all this tactical gear together for them when they might not be of that mindset. And if they're younger children, it can be sort of unsettling maybe if you're talking about doomsday, right? So you have to be very cautious about how you're prepping your family, if they're even preppable, right? So I, my last marriage was not a preppable marriage. It was my spouse did not, did not believe in prepping, hated people at prep. She, I mean, she, it was a, it was a bone of contention between us. And so I took exception to that initially, but he did talk about some of the stuff that he did put together for his family. So my wife and kids carry pretty standard backpacks. They only have a, a change of clothes, some communication instructions, a whistle, a couple of bottles of water and a toothbrush. But then he gives updates. Kids have grown up uh, and he says, I thought this was funny. I was never prouder than when my wife demanded a better knife and flashlight progress, he says, which is awesome. Um, so this is a very common dilemma that a lot of people who are prepping have, because you might have a spouse who, who doesn't feel it the same, the same way that you do. My recommendation has always been like, you can't, there, there are ways to approach it without 
showing that the zombies are going to come crawling out of the ground and eat your face off. So be practical. If, if you show practicality with it, and again, we've seen so many disasters and you know natural disasters and, and things that have really changed life for a lot of people. Just go watch some of the videos from like the Hawaii fires, Paradise fires out in California, floods that have happened, hurricanes that have happened. I mean, there are more than enough stories out there of people that didn't believe in prepping or believed in prepping. But yeah, that hurricane, they always say it's going to get bad, but then it, it, it's not. And they stay anyway, right? Um, your home is usually going to be the best place to be until it's not, in which case you've got to get out on the road, right? You got to get out on the road. So the the thing I liked about Joshua's thing is that he's, he really started to give his family their own backpacks, which is what everybody should have. So the idea that you're going to carry enough supplies for your entire family, well, you may have to do that. You might have to do that if if you're forced to. However, you're I always said before, like I knew that my spouse, if there was a life-changing event, then she was going to be an instant prepper. And and I've seen that happen before as well. So, I would say that do it anyway, even if your family is not into prepping, put their put their own packs together so that they're not dependent on you. If you are going to be getting on the road, if you're forced to evacuate, you're not going to go take off on your feet. You're going to get in your vehicle most likely, right? Get as far as you can in your vehicle. You should take another vehicle with you. So if you and your spouse have your own vehicles, you should each have your, your bug out bags. And that way you can get out on the road. If you're separated, at least they have their own supplies with them. You have your own supplies with you as well. So Definitely everybody needs to have their own pack. Now, does it need to have all the things that you have? No, it doesn't. But they should be able to subsist on their own. And it's all dependent upon how much they're going to be able to carry as well. So one of the other things that I like about what Joshua said was uh, I I could also easily grab one of their packs and place necessary items from mine into it if I wanted to look a little less conspicuous and prepared to go and check something out. So this is a this is a very good approach. I mean, we did this in the military too, especially if we were out, you know, 10th Mountain, we were walking pretty much everywhere. And so if somebody's feet were getting all torn up and they were, I mean, you're only as strong as the weakest link in your chain. And we're not just going to send all the weakest soldier, like, sorry, buddy, you'll just have to find us when you when you finally get to the objective. We're going to make sure that everybody gets there on time. And so we'll we'll take out gear from somebody's pack to lighten their load so that we can put it in ours if we can carry that as well. So same thing goes with your your family. This is one of the reasons why when it comes to being tactical but not looking tactical with like with our X-Bob uh, backpack, it is modular. So that is the tactical aspect of it. It's, it's Molly compatible so that you can add packs to it. You can take packs off of it. Same thing goes for your family. So this makes it a lot easier rather than stopping and pulling gear out of a bag. You can just take the packs off put them on yours. You can also take them all off, put them on a bicycle if you need to. Like the modularity of your bug out bag, that's as tactical as I like to really get with it because that modularity really can help you in storing your gear, in in modifying your gear rather than just pulling stuff out, in giving it to other family members. If you are on a mission-specific trek somewhere where you may not have your bug out bag with you, but you can take some of those things off. Ours, we ha- we also have some sling packs that go with our, our bug out bag. So 
you can you can take certain packs off of your bug out bag and put them onto the sling pack if you're just going to go a shorter distance. You know, in the military, we had our combat packs. It wasn't our full rucksack that we take with us, but it's just our mission packs. And so that's just going to have the things that we need just to be able to accomplish that mission. Well, the same thing goes like with your bug out bag. You're not going to want to carry this thing around everywhere once you get to any sort of a, even a temporary destination. So the, the ability to remove packs, put packs on is going to help you and your family quite a bit. The other thing that he has here in the foundational gear section is he said that um, I've seen people who have their entire family carrying an entire survival kit. To me, forcing my kids and wife to pretend that they know how to survive in the wild would simply serve, in my opinion, to scare them. Uh, again, you really have to just gauge it off of what your family is open to. But the big, the, the silver bullet here is that if your family is not into prepping, if they're not putting their own gear together, you still pack their bags for them. You can just hide them, have them set aside, put them somewhere where just put them in, in their vehicle, just put it in the trunk in, in a box there. Because when a disaster happens, especially if it's a wide scale catastrophic disaster, your family is going to instantly turn into preppers and they're going to wish that they had that they had they had that gear. And thanks to you, you become dad or mom of the year just for putting all that stuff together and they have it. So that's it on that. On, all right. So the next section is on get home bags, which is why Joshua reached out to me to begin with. And so there is a, a lot of stuff in here. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and read from his excerpt. He says that all of the bags are kept in a cabinet in the garage. Uh, and it's likely that these will be thrown into the trunk and hit the road if need be. He says that this was an update for 2023, and maybe this was after he he listened to my podcast on, on get home bags. But he said, "I see a lot of people who demand strongly, or, or demand or strongly suggest that bags be kept in the vehicles. My reasoning for not keeping my my bug out bag in the vehicle is this, and this is why I think it's important. I'm going to read this here because this is a very common uh, a common comment that that people have here, and he says." We have limited space in the vehicles, and there are a lot of times we want to do something else with that space. Silly things like groceries or downright stupid things like mulch and other stuff. Got to keep the bunkers mulched. Uh, we now have a four-vehicle family. Occasionally, we ride together, and sometimes it's the parents in one and a combination of the kids in the other. Switching and swapping bags simply isn't practical for us. Each, each vehicle has an emergency bag. We also have established procedures for finding each other which is awesome, by the way, like Joshua, kudos to that because most people have not thought about that. Absolutely. He goes on to say, my get home bag, as it were, is a miniature version of this bag. The whole family knows that on a trip, dad's bag is coming with us and stays accessible. I also have a small sling bag with some essentials and a 3A bulletproof panel in it. As much as I would like the rest of my family to be as tactical as I am, it just ain't going to happen. I don't disagree that the vehicle is the more prepared place. It simply doesn't work for us. So I would challenge you on this because I am a, I am a, uh, I aggressively defend that your bug out bag belongs inside of your vehicle. I, I don't care if it's a, it's one of those little tiny volt things, right? Like that's not really the best bug out mobile, but who knows that thing's a little so small. Maybe you could just uh, pick it up and carry it around the dead stop traffic that you might reach, but your bug out, like the whole point of this is that you never know if when you're forced to evacuate, 
what your situation is going to be. So I think the, the best example of these are, I think, the Paradise Fires. Wildfire is something that can hit anybody anywhere in the United States. And, and you watch some of those fire, some of those, those home videos that people have on YouTube where they're driving through the flames, just trying to get out of the area. There are more than enough stories out there about people that have tried to get back home because they had the grandmother and the kids were at home. The dogs were at home. The fires were maybe still far enough away, but so they tried to get home to go grab their family, go grab their gear, whatever it was that they were going to go grab, whatever essentials that they, they felt like they needed. And then all of a sudden, wind shift, fires travel much faster than they think that it will, and they end up getting cut, cut off and die. There are stories out there. I mean, you can just go online. You'll, you'll find them. There, there's plenty of them out there. And so when that, if you are forced to evacuate, and again, your home is most likely going to be the, the, the best place to shelter during an emergency, but there are times where it's not. If you're in the path of a disaster, it might not be the best time, best place to be. You need to go to a safer location. If you're forced out because the disaster is headed your way, a wildfire, a hurricane, anything like that, get out of Dodge. If you have to ask, just get the hell out of there. If you live in a more urban environment and it's a situation where you do think that it's going to potentially be a longer, a longer term survival scenario, that's not a good place to be. When people transform after those three days and it turns into chaos, you don't want to be in those urban environments if you can afford not to be. So I'm going to aggressively defend that you need to find the room in your vehicle to put your bug out bag. Prioritize it. I prioritize life and death of my family over mulch and groceries. Now, you know, going down to the Home Depot, if you need the extra room, pop the bag out, cross your fingers, cross your legs, that nothing's going to happen in the 30 minutes that you're away from home, right? I'm, I'm not that much of a, of a Nazi about this, but you absolutely should prioritize that this is going to be the place that you're going to keep it. Even if you have a sedan or a small vehicle, you don't need a pickup truck. You don't need anything like that. Like I've had people that have challenged me on this, on this with, they have a pickup truck. It's a two seater. They don't have any room for it. Told them, get a toolbox for the back. Or if you already have a toolbox, you're probably not even using half of those tools in there. Get them out of there. Put your bag in there. There are a lot of ways. I mean, just where there's a will, there's a way. So make it your will and find a way. That's where it belongs. Next section from Joshua is on shelter. And he says, I keep enough plastic to make a small shelter. He says, uh, a night in the wilderness, a night in a wilderness shelter sucks. Get a packable tent. So he's right. Like, I mean, yeah, you can make your own shelter from you know, putting, getting some sticks together and, and making a pine about, yes, we, you know, we did it in, in, in Cub Scouts. We did it in Boy Scouts. Can you do it? Absolutely. You can. If it's raining, trust me, the, the most miserable you're going to be is if you are wet you know, right to the bone and it's freezing cold outside. And trust me, I have spent many a nights in exactly those situations in the military and a wilderness shelter that you put together yourself. Can you do it? Yes. Is it worth the time and effort? No, it's not. Should you? It's a good skill for wilderness survival. If you are out hunting and you get you get misoriented and you have to spend a night out there, 
before people come looking for you. Yeah, wilderness survival skills, they're a good skill set to have. But when it comes to bugging out and you're going to have your bug out bag with you and everything, um, I don't even recommend like tarps or plastic or anything like that. I know a lot of people can improvise with things like heavy gauge, large, like lawn or contractor uh, garbage bags. The, yeah, can you make a shelter out of those? You absolutely can. But people like technology has really caught up with us. So a Mylar tube tent is something that is super small. I've switched over to it now since it got it got much better quality. They now have uh, grommets in it where you can where you can pin it down. Where before it was just basically a it was just basically a Mylar survival sleeping bag that had a hole in the other end of it as well. So you can do a lot with these things. They t- they take up no room whatsoever. I've had people challenge me on this as well, saying that they don't, you know, they're a single use thing. No, they're not. I've used these things when I was a Boy Scout leader. I've used these going out with my son for up to like 10 days out there. Yes, the Mylar starts to rub off of them a little bit in the sleeping bags. The tent, it's not going to be as much of a problem for you, but these things are, I can fit my entire campsite, if you will, inside of one eight inch tactical pouch that goes on top of my bug, that goes on my bug out bag. Straps right on take that thing off. That has everything that I need in it right there. So I highly recommend switching over to a Mylar tube tent for your shelter. The next topic we're going to uh, cover here is on water. And he brings up some really good points here that I think a lot of people just really don't understand, especially if you've never actually walked with your bug out bag. And that is that water gets to be heavy. It's about eight pounds per gallon of water. And what Joshua talks about here is that, uh, according to experts, one gallon of water per person per day is technically what you need, assuming three days and that water, assuming three days and that water weighs about eight gal- eight pounds per gallon. That's about 25 pounds, uh, for the water that you would have to carry for three days of being, being prepared. So a couple things here. One and he do, he does rightfully point out that it's all dependent upon climate, individual size, and activity, and things like that, which he's right. But I have we when we were really road marching in 10th Mountain Division, we would do a hundred mile road march once a year, uh, do it in four days, twenty five miles a day with a thirty five pound rock. And I can tell you that we averaged five gallons a day per person, and you are going to lose a lot of you're going to sweat like crazy if you're active. Now, if you're sheltering in place, you're going to need less water. But regardless, I'm not, I'm not saying that you need 25 pounds of water inside of your pack either. Now, what Joshua did here was he did get some survival straws and uses those in his bug out bag. He bought a bunch of these, swapped those out for Sawyer's. So I'm not sure if he's talking about uh, other straws or whether he's talking about like the there's cups that you can get that have filters in them as well. Um, really, my suggestion is you just go with an, a three liter minimum. Well, yeah, I mean three liters is a good is a good size. So a three liter water bladder that you can, that has a wide nozzle on it that you can just scoop it into water that is out there that will have a line coming out of it that you can put this water bag inside of your backpack. So our XBOB has its own compartment for it in there. You just hang it in there. There's a another 
hole in the top of the pack where you feed the line through and then use an inline water filter that will filter that water out as it's going through the the line that is going to be over, over going through the hoops in your shoulder strap so that you can drink on the run. You can basically just open that thing up and just drink right out of the back of your pack. One, it makes it a lot easier for you to carry. It's close to your body. It's on your back. It doesn't, it's not uncomfortable like, like cups can be if they're inside of your pack. Sometimes those things can, can work their way around and all of a sudden it's digging in your shoulder blade. I would also say that the inline water filter, like it really allows you to, you don't have to boil things. You don't have to put fil- uh, any sort of uh, iodine tablets in it to, to purify the water. You just have to, I mean, it helps to put some a little bit of pantyhose over it if you're going into like a really mucky mud hole just to keep some of the 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 big stuff the big sludge out of your your bag but you can put dingy water in there it doesn't matter as long as there's no fuel in there it's going to easily be filtered as you're drinking it and as you stop you can just or as you come across another water source you can just fill it back up I recommend that you drink as much as you can when you meet that source, fill it all back up so you have some extras there. I don't like the survival straws that are out there because they can only be used when you're right there at a water source. So if you come across a pond, for example, and you're there, yeah, you can put that life straw down in in the water. You can drink out of it. It's going to be clean. Drink your fill. But when you leave, you're not going to have that water with you. If you are now, you can carry that water in some canteens or a bladder, and you can use that with the life straw. It's just very wonky. It's it's not going to be very conducive to you being able to stay on the road. And you know, your goal is to get to your location as fast as possible with as much with as little fidgeting around as possible. I can tell you, you know, we used to have our canteens on our on our on our uh, on our belts in the military. And it was a pain in the ass, especially when you're, I mean, when you're with other people and they're, you're walking along and you're thirsty, you have to juggle, you know, in the military, you're juggling your, your rifle and whatever else you have there. And you got to get to your, to your, to your canteens there. It, it's just a pain in the ass, plain and simple. Just put it in a three liter pack, stick it in the back of your bug out bag, have the line coming out, have the inline water filter there. You're good to go. All right. Joshua on food. So he says, the only food that I have in my pack is several protein bars and a small jar of peanut butter. Peanut butter serves several purposes for me. First and foremost, my kids like it and I don't hate it. (laughs) It's packed with energy, which would be enough to keep you going for a while. Um, All right. So I'm going to stop there. So one, it's not a bad, it's not a bad approach for sure. Having some sort of energy bars that you can have there. Protein is going to be less of a need for you than carbohydrates. You're going to be burning through carbohydrates. Now the protein is going to be turned into carbohydrates as it's metabolizing your body. Uh, is it going to help with muscle recovery? It can't. So, but you're going to get, car- you're going to get protein from carbohydrates as well. And people don't need as much protein as they think they do. So I would highly recommend that if you're going to get bars the protein bars, make sure that they have more carbohydrates in them. They should be mass building bars rather than like ketogenic protein bars or anything like that, where it's going to try and shortchange you on carbohydrates. But it's not a bad, it's not a bad idea. The peanut butter is also a good idea if it's real peanut butter. Most of the stuff that you buy at the local grocery store, like the Peter Pans, the GIFs, the Skippies, they have a lot of canola oil in it. So there's peanuts in it. 
Yeah, but it's basically peanut margarine is what it is. And so I would say natural peanut butter would uh, would be beneficial for you because fat has more than twice as many calories as carbohydrates. And a calorie is just a measure of a unit that is going to get burned as you're as you're generating energy uh, for whatever whatever activity that you're doing there, right? So if you can get twice as many calories out of the same amount of whatever, a spoonful of protein versus a spoonful of carbohydrates versus a spoonful of peanut butter, you're going to get more burnable calories and energy out of that peanut butter. It's also going to avoid insulin spikes. So it's going to uh, slow down gastric emptying. So the food that's in your stomach is gonna, isn't going to be metabolized as sugar as rapidly as, as if you didn't have some sort of fat involved or in, included with what you're ingesting. So it's not a bad idea. I would recommend that instead of a jar of peanut butter to maybe have some of the individual packets that you can get, you can just get them online. You can get them from, you can get them from, uh, you know, Amazon. You can just buy those and those work really well also. Uh, I will go on here with, he says that it will, it also will, oh, he's talking about the peanut butter. It also will make any traps and snares that you set exponentially more successful since squirrels love this stuff. So I, I don't recommend carrying things with you like snares, some traps you can actually use. And I think this is something that he may have upgraded his plan because I don't, I don't know if I saw any snare wire that he had in his pack, but he did have some rat traps that were in there. I actually have switched over from rat traps, which was in our, my original book for the X-Bob was to use rat traps because then you can, you can get small things like rodents, like squirrels and things like that, which is going to be way, way easier to grab somebody or grab food than a snare is going to be. Um, a friend of mine and one of the instructors that we have in our network, Tony Nestor has, who, who runs a survival course out in, uh, He's in Arizona and is out in the, out there in the desert. And he really is an expert at setting deadfalls, traps, snares, things like that. And he said that I'm not, I'm speaking from his experience, not my own, which was that it takes about 50. I mean, he's tested this several times and it takes about 50 snares set in order to get one you know, bag, bag one, whatever it is game that you're, that you're trying to catch there, bunny rabbits or, or squirrels or whatever. 50 snares is a lot. Like it's, a, and that's really more of a shelter in place, sort of a scenario where you have the time to go out and check all 50 of your traps each day and reset them. You're not going to do that on the run if it's a situation where you're bugging out. So I would say, Joshua, ditch the snare wire. It's not going to really do you any good there. There's, there's better things that you can do there. Uh, he also adds in coffee singles, which uh, I think is a great idea. He says, if you're cold and wet and the world has ended, a nice warm cup of coffee seems like it might be a pretty big luxury for not a lot of weight. I agree with him on that. Like, uh, I think coffee is, you can, it can be used in a lot of different ways. So one, it is going to give you mental alertness that you might need. It's going to help you push push on. It's going to reduce fatigue, felt fatigue. So it's going to, you're going to be able to get further faster. If you're not feeling the pain, if your mind isn't focused in on that, you're focused in on making the decisions that you need to, in order to potentially make decisions on the fly that could save you and your family. So I do like the addition of coffee. 
Um, especially if you're running any sort of patrols or if you are going to run any night watch, having somebody up 24 seven is, you know, going to, uh, you know, you're going to need the coffee to, you know, just to be able to stay awake there. So I do like that as well. It's all, it can be used for bartering, it can be used for a lot of things. And the other, last thing I'll say here is, is that he says, I also have a can opener. I believe that the can opener that I saw in the pictures, I could be wrong on this, but, um, and I do recommend that you do have a can opener because if you come across food, I mean, if, if it's a situation where things are very desperate and people have mobilized, they've left, they're likely going to be leaving things behind as well. So if you do come across a home and you get, you get inside of there and it's, it's abandoned in your travels, you can find this kind of food in a lot of different places. So you can, you know, if you come across a place, it sucks to try and open it up with a knife or your machete. It can be done. I've done it, but it can also mean getting the food all over the place and even potentially even cutting yourself because if you're trying to to bang a knife down on it and it slips, you can cut yourself. Not a good, not a good situation when we're talking about austere, austere environments. So I do recommend a can opener. However, I think the one that Joshua had was a the kind that you would have in your kitchen. I would say instead of like the large grip ones, you're better off with one of the old timey uh, turn. You know, they're those metal, the metal ones. You can get them at garage sales. You can be in a Goodwill and Salvation Army. They're still around. You can still buy them. They're going to take up much less room and they'll be better for you. But for me, I still carry a P38 on my dog tags. And one of those works perfectly fine. Super compact. Can be used in a lot of different other ways. But that's that's my recommendation is to switch over to that. But definitely have one on you. So So kudos to you, Joshua, for just having it. The next section we're going to tackle here is on medical. And um, I really like, this was a really, I really like this excerpt of his because it, with the updates, it really did show the progression here. So small little section here that I'll tell you about. So the problem, he says, the problem I see with many people's kits is that it seems like they're trying to prepare for war. Honestly, if the world really was breaking down, my plan would be to find someone who has better knowledge than I have and hope that my skills would be useful to them. In a 2020 update, he says, that person is now my wife. Since 2015, she became a registered nurse. So that's awesome. So a few things with this. So I totally agree. Most people are packing away these like field medical kits that have a, a you know, nasal pharyn- uh, pharyn- uh, pharyngeal, pharyngeal uh, tubes that if your if your airways blocked and they've got sutures in there but they've never learned how to do any of this stuff they've got iv bags they don't know how to put in an iv it's just going to be wasted space if you don't have the skills to be able to use that stuff and you might not necessarily need it right so you really have to weigh this out for me all you really need is you know we call it our medical blowout kit and just some basic things in there that can help you now I'm trained in a lot of the medical gear. So I'm a combat medic as well. So I went through all that training and I know how to use those things so I can carry them. And I know that in a situation where it is a survival scenario from a natural disaster, there's going to be a lot of debris around. So there's going to be broken glass from from windows. There's going to be jagged metal from barriers that were destroyed or signs that were destroyed or out there. there are tin cans. They're like the debris is going to pile up. You trying to get past an obstacle could mean that you're going to get cut. 
and that could get infected. So you need the ability to be able to sterilize wounds, be able to treat for bleeding, the major stuff. But again, what's going to help you more is going to be the skills that you put into it. Knowing the priority of how to treat wounds when you come across somebody or if it's you or a family member. If somebody is cut or there's a gun gunshot wound, do you really know do you know how to how to deal with those sorts of things, right? And those are things that actually can happen, especially in extended survival scenarios where other people really are the problem. There's going to be people that are going to steal from you or attempt to. There's they're going to be out there. And likely they will be in mass also because it's not going to take people long to be able to start to congregate together and form packs because they're going to realize they realize that they're going to have um what is that? Uh, let me just go ahead and shut shut this down here. I'm not even sure how this even. I don't know if you could hear those noises or not, but uh, people are going to they're going to pack together. They're going to because there's safety in numbers. So the one thing I would say here is that uh, Joshua, I wouldn't wait until. Well, you don't have to wait anymore. Your wife is actually a registered nurse, which is freaking awesome. For everybody else out there that doesn't have a spouse that's a registered nurse or a doctor, now is the time to start looking for the people that can complement the skill set that you have and the supplies that you have. So go ahead and you need to start thinking about those things now. Who are those people that you know could do that? Because when it comes time for like where you actually need that person, if it is an austere environment, if there's not a lot of people around, you're not going to have that person to go to. So it's only going to be you. You're going to be the doctor. You're going to be the hospital. But if there are people around there you better bring something to the table because if you're if you're coming onto my team, it's not just oh we feel we feel sorry for you. You need a doctor. Come here. I'll use our supplies on you. It's if you're coming, like you're going to have something that you're going to contribute to the team, or you're going to pay for that that care in, in some way. So that's not going to be the time to do it. But kudos to you and congratulations to your wife on becoming a registered nurse. That is not an easy designation to get. I know it's a lot of hard work. So uh, great job there. And then on, so the next one is on tools. So he gives a, a pretty, he gives a full list of the things that he has here. I'm going to run down what these tools are because it's, it's a short list, but I think it's important to know what's included. So I can give you my take on it. So he says, a Leatherman is great. I have four now, but I also keep a small screwdriver with assorted bits included, a small adjustable wrench, side cutters, six nails, six screws duct tape, wire, gloves, sewing needles, and a few jigsaw blades for metal and for wood and some razor blades. All right. So the purpose of your bug out bag is only to get you from point A to point B, which is going to be a safer location. For a more extended stay where all you're going to have is your bug out bag, some of those things might come in relatively handy, right? But i Looking for, at the pictures there, the adjustable wrench is not really necessary. I think it's it's weight that you can take out of there because I don't think you're necessarily going to, I don't think you're going to need it on like a three-day trek to be able to get to your plan B safe spot there. The duct tape that Joshua showed was a an actual roll of duct tape. It's like the, the large full-size roll of duct tape. And Joshua would say, you don't, you're not going to need that much duct tape either. A few things that you can do is to wrap it around either like a Bic lighter 
in the military, we used to just wrap it around a pencil or a pen that we had, and you just keep rolling it around. So you're putting it around a smaller, a smaller wrap around than like that large hoop that they normally put uh, duct tape around. And so you just need enough for emergency purposes, just kind of cover up some holes and then maybe the, the shelter that you have and, and things like that. Jigsaw blades, like I don't see why you're going to need any of those things. For me, I, all I carry with me as far as tools is I do have a SOG multi-tool that I use. I have my, we have our escort knife. So it's our, I carry a small belt knife. It's our, our six o'clock tactical um, escort. And then I also carry my machete with me. And my machete has become my go-to main industrial tool that I carry with me. I mean, it does, it does so much. And ours is, I mean, our guardian machete is, it's the best machete on the planet. I'll put it up against, there is no better machete on the planet, plain and simple. It cuts through steel so I can breach obstacles with it if I need to. I don't need to carry a bunch of extra things with me. It'll do the same thing that a, like a tomahawk will. It'll do the same. It'll, it'll do the same thing that every other tool is going to do, including like a survival knife that you might carry and things like that. Only it can do them better. So that's what I recommend is to, is to switch over to those things. And then the final section that I'll cover here is on security. And so he says that, uh, you won't see any firearms in my pack. There is ammo. So yes, I have them, but to me, these are tools I can hunt, but I also know that firearms carry other dangers that in many situations can cause more harm than good. If you come to my house and talk to me, I'm very likely to help you. If you are carrying a, all right. Joshua, I know you I know you mentioned this and I know you say in here to get over the terminology, but uh people I'm gonna send people over to your instructable, so I know you're gonna catch hell for this. But he says, if you come to my house and talk to me, I'm very likely to help you. If you're carrying an assault rifle, and he says in parentheses here, yes, I know what the term means and you know what I mean. So I would just say, like, like I'm not a I'm not a terminology uh Nazi. I know I've caught hell in the past for for saying certain words that people didn't like. They were, I, I don't get hung up on terminology too much, but just know Joshua that you're probably going to get a, an, an earful on that. I digress. He says that um, if you are carrying a rifle with you, you'll be stopped a hundred yards or so out until I know your intentions. And even then I'm going to be very wary. So a hundred yards is, is a little ways out there. So if you have your rifle you better have a plan for how you're going to stop people out a hundred yards away because you're not likely, first of all, if they're coming there with intentions of accessing wherever it is that you are, whether it's your home or whether it's in a location that you're at and you see somebody that's carrying a rifle, uh, they're most likely not just going to be walking, you know, strolling up to your door with a rifle because in those types of situations, it's not going to take long for people to realize that it, I mean, if we're talking without rule of law, it's not going to take people long to realize to shoot first and ask questions later. That's a hard lesson that I learned in combat. And it's a sucky position to be in because you don't want to pull the trigger, but not pulling the trigger when the situation deems that it could possibly be a threat and you have no other options there challenging them a hundred yards out is going to be, is going to be a challenge for you. It's going to be a challenge for you. So you have to have some means to be able to do that from far enough distance away. Most likely that's going to be some sort of a sentry that's positioned there that somebody would have to stop at 
a an area farther out so that you can see what somebody's intentions are. And there might be contact right there, in which case it's a hundred yards out and it gives other people, you know, it's enough of a delay that it can give other people time to be able to react to, to the, uh, to the fire there. All right. So at least have a plan for doing that. Um, further into his excerpt here, he says, when looking at different forums, I am a little bit horrified by the fact that so many people feel that everyone's going to turn into a criminal immediately. Not that bad people won't try to take advantage. I just have a more positive outlook on human nature. I would agree with you, Joshua, that too many people think that it might be an immediate thing. However, there are wolves among the sheep in our society. They're looking for sheep. If you're not prepared to be able to defend yourself and your family and your goods, you're sheep. And it sounds like you do have, you know, you're, you're definitely taking into account the need for security. And I haven't gone into here about the firearms that you've chosen, but I will say that um, be very, very careful about being, it, it's better to be, it's better to err on the side of caution than it is to assume that everybody is going to be nice. The further you go into an extended survival scenario, the less resources are going to be, the more desperate people are going to be, and desperate people do desperate things. It doesn't have to it doesn't have to look like a soldier or some doomsday prepper that's coming up on your on your location. It can be somebody that looks like they in fact, I mean it's people are going to start getting more and more crafty with it. As time goes on, when they start looking for how can they find a better way to get closer to you or to get stuff out of you. I mean, just go to Mexico and talk on the beach. I mean, parents have their kids out there peddling chiclets and and beads and things like that. Why? Because they know that the kids are, you know, the, the, the four-year-old holding the beads is better is better equipped to get a yes out of you to buy something than if the parent were to go up there. Well, the same thing is going to happen in an extended scenario where you're going to have other pe- people that look like they're not a threat are going to be the threat. That's called camouflage. That's the true nature of camouflage, not the you know the uh the ghillie suit that you're wearing for from your sniper class that you took. So um I would just caution you on those things. He goes on to add here that he has a Ruger 1022 breakdown rifle which with about 750 rounds in it which is about, as he puts in here, five and a half pounds, which is 14% of his total weight is what he put. Now, if my math is correct, that makes his pack about 39 pounds. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good target. In the military, we, like our standard was kind of like a 35 pound rucksack was really what we, we road marched. We, we did that. Of course, some of us had more than that. We had radios in there. If you were like a 60 gunner, uh, if you were, if you were part of a 60 gunner team, you might have the extra barrel with you. There, there are things that you might need that are going to weigh you down a little bit more, but that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good target there. I would say that you probably don't need 750 rounds with you to be able to take that with your Ruger 1022, which is a, I think a great, great choice. I've got a Ruger 1022 breakdown. Um, he, there's lots of other excerpts in his instructable as well, where he talks about the access to the rifle and that he with the breakdown rifle he was able to put it inside of his bag uh with other rifles he wasn't able to put it inside of the bag to be able to to be able to hide it from other people's view so the breakdown is going the 1022 breakdown as an example for the uh, the Ruger 
that is going to be a, a really good choice. I have one of those as well, but I would caution you from putting it inside of your pack. If you can make it more accessible, it's going to be much better for you. It's one of the reasons why I designed our, our gun bag, which don't, don't write into me. We don't have, it's not like available. None of these things are available. Like we don't have a storefront where you can get the XBOB or any of our features that go with it or a sling pack or the escort knife. All of those are part of really what I need people to do is really buy into the philosophy before they get the gear, because I don't want people that are just gear focused. That's why we don't make it like a storefront. We want people to be able to go become educated on our philosophy. And if it resonates with you, then we have the gear available for you. If it doesn't resonate with you, you don't need the gear anyway. So we like people to be educated before they're, they're purchasing any of our stuff. So um, the best way to do it is to go through our, 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 our training class on our military survival secrets uh, master workshop that we have. I will, uh, if I put a, a, a link down in the show notes for that, but in any case, the, uh, the, we have a gun bag that, that makes it accessible. You can just pull, it pulls out instantly. It's on the outside of your bag. It hides everything, but it makes your firepower accessible as well. All right. The last thing I'll say here is that he, oh, by the way, I do recommend the 22 round as the survival round of choice. I also recommend that you have a pistol handy. I like the Ruger LCR 22, which carries eight rounds in it, I believe it is. And having that on standby is going to allow you to use that 22 ammunition that you have. Is it a, is it going to blast somebody through their, a plate glass, plate glass window? No, but nothing does. Right. And in austere environments, people are going to quickly learn that any sort of injury at all is something that they're going to want to avoid. So even a 22 round, while it's not going to be a, an instant man stopper, no handgun is. A rifle is going to be much better for that. 22 rifle is going to have more power behind, obviously, the, the pistol. But an LCR pistol, which is a revolver, is going to be better in environments where you don't have to, you know, if it's, if, if there's, if the environment has refuse around it. If it's, if there's gunk all over the place, if it's a true disaster environment, it's like moist, your semi-automatics are going to be more susceptible to becoming giant paperweights for you. So that's why I like the revolver. It just, you pull the trigger, it turns the cylinder, it goes bang, plain and simple. You can keep that handy concealed carry so that you do have something literally accessible right there. You don't have to even take your Ruger 1022 out and put it together. You're just not going to have all the accuracy of that. So that's why I do like the, our gun bag. I've got that so that I can bring my rifle with it. I can put my AR-15 in it. My AR pistol goes in that. And uh, you don't even know that it's there. The last thing that I'll say here from Joshua is that he says that uh, he's recently added pepper spray to his gear as well. This is a great addition because not every situation is going to be break out the, the Ruger 10 to 22, strap that thing together and blow somebody off your front porch. Most of the time, the confrontation that you're going to have are going to be from the people that are begging for stuff. And those confrontations don't require you to pull out a lethal weapon. You can, if you can get to pepper spray a lot faster, spray them down. Even if they do have a weapon, you can, if you can get to that faster, spray them down. So um, a lot of a lot of preppers don't put this in their gear. They don't think about the less lethal options that they can use for for security. 
So Joshua, great job on thinking outside the box here and realizing that you don't have to blow everybody off into off into Mad Max land here. All right. So again, Joshua, great job. I really appreciate you submitting your challenge and giving a link over to your Instructable for me to be able to take a look at it. Hopefully a lot of that information resonates with you and you can use it, put it to good use. I think that everybody should go over there and check out your Instructable. I'll go again, I'll put a link in the show notes as well as the cheat sheet, which you can get inside of our Warrior Life Academy with a Loot Locker membership. It's totally free. You can just go to warriorlife.com slash loot. And you can grab all of our cheat sheets from our podcast that are in there and make your make up your own your own survival binder. Okay. So again, Joshua, thank you so much. And we will have a thank you gift headed out your way for submitting your your tip slash question here. And thanks so much for anybody else that wants to submit your own tips or your questions. You can go to warriorlifetips.com and you can submit them there. If we use yours in one of our podcasts or our videos, then we'll send you out a thank you gift as well. All right. All right. So that wraps things up for this week, folks. And until our next broadcast, live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us and leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.